The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary. Based on well-verified references headed through vigilance and discernment. Our desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. And welcome, welcome to the other side of the news. I'm co-hosting tonight with Timothy Saunders and Annette Driscoll. This is Cynthia. We have a really amazing show lined up. Our guest tonight is Andy Steele, and uh, I can't wait to bring him on later. We live in a dynamic world of volatile, changing perspectives with the bully regimes resorting to slander, name-calling, murder, and theft. The people are waking up to witness this chaos in our country as here we are 15 months into Biden's presidency. He's crashed the stock market, provoked a food shortage, opened our borders to millions of illegal aliens, With historic rises in murder, inflation, and drug overdoses, as well as a plunge in life expectancy. If that wasn't enough, he's dragged the the U.S. into a hot war with a foreign nuclear power on behalf of a corrupt government that bribed his drug-addicted son. Biden's policies have led to shuttered schools, permanent looting, Third world levels of wealth and inequality, $7 for gasoline, racial hatred, and mental illness leading to unprecedented numbers of suicides. Biden has delivered war and economic collapse to the people of America. He promised to unite the country, but now he's smearing half of the country as extremists, branding the mega crowd as the most extreme party in American history. He sees Make America Great Again crowd as terrorists. Yet it's Biden's party that's full of extremists that want to defund the police, open to borders to everyone, including criminal cartels. And they want to push their decisive woke ideology into every facet of life branding concerned parents speaking at school boards as terrorists. Imagine that. Well, hear what former Democratic Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Garbard and Republican Florida Congressman Byron Donalds have to say. Keith, kindly play that sound excerpt. 
It's worse than ridiculous, Sean. It is absolutely despicable and outrageous. When you look at the president of the United States of America calling millions of Americans essentially terrorists, people who politically oppose him or voted against him, he's calling them terrorists in an attempt to intimidate them into silence. And we know this is because we've heard this before from both him and his attorney general. You'll remember when, when his attorney general said, you know, anyone who holds extremist or anti-authority views will be targeted for investigation and potential prosecution by their domestic terrorist units. So he's essentially saying that this quote-unquote MAGA crowd are worse than terrorists. Uh, This is outrageous. And and so for every American who's watching, every American who's seen this, no matter how you feel about the MAGA crowd, this is an authoritarian assault on our freedom. And we need to stand together very strongly against this attempt to intimidate and silence anyone who holds political views that are different from or opposed to what this president and his administration are furthering. This is an assault on our democracy. I thought Joe Biden wanted to stand for unity. He's never stood for that. He's been one of the most divisive presidents we've ever had. Well, there you have it. Again, that is Tulsi Gabbard, a Democrat, and Byron Donalds, a Republican. And I love it that a congresswoman, a Democratic, well, she was, former congresswoman, a Democrat, is so outspoken about the Australian outrageous policy of Biden and his administration. On top of all of this, Biden's administration has announced, get this, the Ministry of Truth Board, or as JP likes to call them, the Disinformation Governance Board. We've seen this before. Where? How about just north of our borders, where dictator Trudeau, displeased and fearful of the truckers for freedom, declared the truckers and any supporting them to be terrorists. And all who disagree with his policies are subject to having their assets seized. Or how about Hitler's Ministry of Truth? That used to be the mainstream media's way to educate the people to embrace the big lie. I ask myself, what will it take for people to stand up for the truth? What will it take for people to stop giving away the freedoms to the dictators? Fortunately, there is a growing number of um, a growing number of us, of truthers, of patriots, of people who love their freedom that are not willing to take this anymore. And I am so grateful every day I hear reports about people speaking up, everyday people, and it's so wonderful. It's refreshing. Tonight, we will revisit the 9-11 cover-up. I'm delighted that our guest, both journalist, author, and artist, brings a whole new perspective from behind the scenes of the current course, I'm sorry, of the current court case to expose the criminal misdeeds of the shadow government um, in our show called Drawing Out Truth. Before we dive into tonight's topic, I'd like to bring Annetta on to enlighten us on what's really going on with Roe versus Wade, and then we can bring Timothy on to get his international take on events. Annetta? 
I'm having trouble coming off mute. Okay. <laughs> well, let's see. Um, well, the Ministry of Truth, that was in George Orwell's novel, 1984. And uh, there's a bunch of uh, stuff out there on the internet right now. Some people are being very creative with making videos and some of them um, spoofs. I did put one up on my Telegram channel. I'll have it posted. Uh, I'll post it as one of my items after the show. Uh, really funny about this um, you know, scary Poppins. She's this person who is this Nina. I can't, I can't remember her name. I think it's a, an intentional uh, block of names, but whatever. Um, she's, she's scary. And she's doing this Mary Poppins thing. And then it's been taken and uh, satirized. And it's, it's really most excellent. But I mean, it, it shows you how desperate they are becoming. To me, um, it shows that there's, they're losing, uh, they're losing stuff left and right. And I know that they are. I mean, I can, I could go through and list all of it, but we don't have time for that right now. Maybe we could do a whole show on all the movement that is going on around what's happening. But uh, there, the the side that's wanting to keep us, um, that wants to control us, that wants us not to have freedom on all levels, that have used all kinds of tactics. Nine uh, eleven, what we're going to discuss, being one of them, to erode our freedoms. Uh, the Patriot Act that was pushed through that was written well before the um, Twin Towers suddenly came down. Really, was that sudden? Because they wrote all the the, uh, the bill for it, the Patriot Act, and all the revisions that they kept it in play. It was supposed to be temporary in case anyone forgot. So anyway, we have that kind of going on right now around this Roe versus Wade. I've talked about this many times on the show before, but I want to remind everybody, first of all, this is not a decision. Um, and they're basically mulling the idea over and talking about it. It's never, it should have never been something that went to SCOTUS because it is not a constitutional item. Nowhere in our constitution is the word abortion used or anything around that was something that should have been at a state level. What they're saying with the Roe versus Wade, uh, that they're discussing right now is they're talking about passing it back to the states for the states to decide individually. Which is, oh my gosh, constitutional. That's the way we were supposed to be set up on every level. Uh, I've mentioned this so many times, but for anyone who's new, our, our constitution was set up for and by we the people. And it was to be governed from the bottom up, not from the top down. The, there were only 18 enumerated duties of the federal government. So certainly deciding these kind of issues, that was supposed to be a state level. So all of this frantic stuff, there's no one who's taking away anybody's right to any choices whatsoever at this point. And uh, that would be on a state level, and you'd have to petition your state, uh, depending on where you live. Uh, so, you know, that's what's really going on. But I don't really think it's even um, the fact that it was leaked, and we've never had any kind of leak coming out of, historically, I, I'm not aware of any leaks coming out of the uh, Supreme Court. It's, it's locked up tightly. It always has been. So this is very interesting. And uh, I really think, okay, so let's look, at, let's, let's look at what else is going on. Because anytime the media and everybody, the government, everybody's in unison, that's a clue that they're having you look one way when you should be looking the other. So just think about it, right? And what, what came out on the same day? Oh, right, the election fraud uh, proof movie, which is called 2000 Mules. Um, and it is undeniable 
I mean, it always has been, but this puts it in a, in a context, in a format, kind of like what we're going to talk about tonight uh, with a graphic novel, a way that people can understand this easily and that you can disseminate this information in a way that everyone can understand, right? So this is going on at the same time. So there's other things that are going on that are very, very important too. And like I said, that's a whole show in and of itself. But what I would say out of all this is, A, you know, quit, quit crying in your Cheerios. Nobody's taken away anybody's rights. They're passing it to the states where it should have always been. Those decisions should have always been at a state level. And um, B, uh, what are they having you look away from, not pay attention to? Because it's probably the more important thing. And I would say, uh, based on what we're experiencing in this country and the worldwide effect that it's having, um, that this election, which was a selection process, uh, you know, is, is absolutely critical. And of course, they don't want you to look at that. So that's what I'm going to say about that and, uh, and pass it back to Timothy, who always has something to say on the worldwide scale. So, Timothy. Well, I can honestly say that uh, I have less to say on a worldwide scale about this week because uh, in Turkey, there were three days of national holiday, which um, I totally and utterly switched off all communications with uh, mainstream media, independent media, all sorts of media. So I have, I'm three days short. I'm three days out of date, and I have no intention of catching up on any of it. So I'm blissfully unaware of what's going on at the beginning of this week. Um, but it doesn't take very long to stick your head out the window and catch up, and it's just the same stuff going on uh, again and again. It's just it's information to distract, information to shock, information to depress, um, just to keep this, this illusion going. And people seem to be buying in, into it. I, I just, I'm amazed how I missed only, as I say, around three days of, of uh, news passing by. And, you know, these figureheads suddenly pop up in, uh, I say these figureheads, popping up in, in Poland, um, in Ukraine, you see people showing their face, obviously trying to score more credibility points, promising more money and more arms uh, to, to fight a war, which, which now people are saying, we, we are now fighting the enemy. The enemy is, is Russia. The enemy is Putin. And we are doing this. You know, it, it, it's so in plain sight. It, it's, how can this possibly <laughs> not be construed as, as a real war? So I, I think that uh, things have escalated, obviously, um, in terms of the psychology, in terms of the, uh, the psychosis that seems to, um, yeah, what can I say, increasing in density around us. And I, I'm still just very shocked about what is happening with this money, what is happening to these arms that are being sent to this, uh, this, this theater of war? You know, are Ukrainians able to take a special cash card to a bank and suddenly <laughs> put their card into the hole in the wall, the ATM, and download like, you know, a couple of million dollars? Because I don't know what the population of Ukraine is right now, uh, but it seems there are billions and billions being poured into it. And how is this money actually getting to the people? How is it helping the people directly? So I, I put that question to you, ladies. Uh, do you have any ideas? Of, can you inform me about this? What did I miss? 
well, you know, I'm always full of my theories, right? Uh, so yeah, I don't think any of that's going to the Ukrainian people. That's rather obvious. I mean, it's all, you know, it's all hush fund money. In fact, um, Saki came out and admitted that, uh, the money wasn't entirely going to Ukraine. It was going to other countries to support their economies from the inflationary pressures. And as Americans, and we sit here and go, uh, well, what about us? Right. They've admitted that even with their crackpot, very contrived uh, calculations, that we now are at 8.5, which last show we were at 7.5, by the way. Just that's one week later. Um, now we're at 8.5, and they changed the numbers again. In reality, it's much higher. I actually uh, was, you know, I was curious, and I did some research around uh, building costs because I wanted to figure a few things out. And I took numbers from exactly one year previous and looked at broke and there was a video also I watched that broke this down really well too that helped me from a different building perspective and it came out the same way which was uh, steel was up literally double and some things went up 25% and all that but the overall average cost to build the exact same structure the exact same way just from the materials end of it not labor just materials was um, 150%. So if it was 100,000 last year, it was 150,000 this year, one year later. That is not 8.5%. And our food is not 8.5%. And our fuel is not 8.5%. So, you know, we have that. And then we have the feds, uh, you know, raising the interest rate, what, uh, uh, 50 basis points, I think two days ago or whatever. And uh, the stock market's not, not uh, responding appropriately. And they actually, you know, people are really mathematically challenged because they're going, oh, yeah, 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 this will slow down the, and uh, this, will, this will affect inflation. Well, no, it, it does not. It would have to be equal to the same percentage points in order to have that effect. That's just straight up math. Of course, you know, I still live in a world where two plus two equals four, not five. So maybe that's the problem. But you know, the, the people are still really, really buying the Kool-Aid. I don't know how hard they have to be hit in order to wake up. But, um, yeah, it's amazing the amount of distraction and propaganda and uh, the money. And that, you know, I've talked about this many, many times about the whole thing with the the money system is going to go down. But that's that again, that's another show. But uh, um, that I, th- I, I think what we're witnessing is the uh, coll- the worldwide collapse of all the fiat currencies right now and the banking industry so but I, I think you're, you're right we've seen it coming we've had it in our sights seen it on the horizon for for a long time our guests have been speaking of this mm-hmm. i think the the surprising thing is just how quickly it can happen and as you say how many people are still drinking the kool-aid because you know people have not trusted even many people who have not trusted the media for uh, reporting accurately on, on the COVID scandemic. Now, they're straight away forgetting all of that and just buying in, saying, okay, well, this this war must be, you know, on us. Of course, we must send all this, this ammunition and we must uh, send all these billions and dollars, trillions, I guess. I don't know how long it's going to be before it's trillions, but um, it's, it's racking up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And... In between, as you say, the um, while while all this is occurring, who actually asked us, who the government is supposed to represent the people? Did anybody make an outcry, make a plea that 
make a vote, make a referendum, that we, we should all do this. I mean, I again underline the, the point that, in my opinion, there are no heroes in, in this, this theater of war at all. I believe, I believe there are certain sides which are just playing out their roles in this. And yes, in the middle, a lot of innocent people are getting hurt and killed, which is terrible. But the point is, I think this war could be avoided. And I don't hear anybody talking about peace still. Or it's peace, really uh, criminal. Yeah. Really criminal. I mean, people are, are just... Uh, <laughs> it's amazing to me that they are... Maybe they're numb with fear, you know, like a deer in the headlights kind of thing. Uh, uh, people just don't believe it. Uh, they're not, like, taking it seriously. And yet we're poised on the brink of war here with the nuclear power. It's just shocking. Well, we're in a war. Uh, the the question is, is, is where does one classify that? Uh, but if you do read modern warfare uh, tactics, you know, there we have been in a war for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has not been a kinetic war here. Uh, but the fact that we're sending uh, money for armaments and armaments over there, uh, and, and no one in the U.S. Uh, has asked the the uh, U.S. people and, and if we want to support this or if we want to support all these other countries that are having problems with their economy. But what I will point out to people is all of our, you know, our, our wonderful politicians, and I, I, I can't say that with enough sarcasm, but they have all, they're all over there so busy flying over to Ukraine. There's an interesting little point there I'll come back to, but they're so busy going over there. But they haven't bothered to go down to the southern border where, you know, we have this massive humanitarian crisis going on that's just mm-hmm. out of control. So people need to wake up and see that. By the way, so this is interesting. I, I, I like, you know, kind of a goober, nerdy person, and I like tracking things. And uh, I don't have the mental uh, aptitude or capacity to track all the flights, but I'm smart enough to go find someone who does. And what's interesting about it is, is that there's a guy called Monkey Works, and there's a few others. They've been tracking these flights of these supposed people going over to uh, Ukraine from the United States and other places, uh, the UK, etc. cetera. Uh, they aren't flying into Ukraine. They're flying into Poland, and there's a question as to whether um, uh, Zelensky's even has been in the Ukraine since the beginning of this. And the other thing is, is that the air, you know, that, the air uh, is controlled, the airspace is controlled by Russia. So how could they just have these flights going on with all these politicians supposedly meeting in these stage sets? We're, we're really watching a movie that, you know, I was just watching an interesting documentary on the ghost, um, this ghost regiment from World War II, where they create, they just now are acknowledging them that they, these guys went in and created all these fake, um, things for the, the like tanks and whole tank tracks. I mean, they, they built these whole things for the, for the Russia, for the um, Germans to go after so that they would go after the fake ones, the dummies and not the real ones. And, you know, I don't, I don't think we're seeing much different now, but it's, it's interesting that this is coming out as documentaries at this point in time. It's been quiet until now. Right. I, are you saying that, historically speaking back in the 1940s that the they were building decoys decoys to attract mm-hmm. 
shelling uh, from from the enemy. Is that what, what you're saying? Uh, yes, absolutely. I'll, I can post those that video on the on my links. I'll, I'll put that in my notes here. Put that one up. Yeah, it's very interesting. They actually. I, I, think, I think that mm-hmm. goes that goes. Yeah, historically speaking, a lot of people use that that tactic. I remember in, uh, uh, for example, going past in the south of the UK, there was a, a fake airfield which was supposed to be a squadron of Spitfires, for example, but they were just like plywood mock-ups. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think yeah. it's something to, it is a decoy of a decoy, but you're saying they're using that today. Well, you know, I, th- these people aren't actually going into Ukraine. Uh, it doesn't look like any of these politicians. And then there's, you know, uh, Zelensky's supposed to be in these, uh, you know, fatigues, and there's uh, Pelosi in the brightest blue suit with a yellow something. I mean, it's like, really? Are you trying to be camouflaged or not? And she's there. I mean, the whole thing is absurd. Anybody who has any logic in their mind should be looking at this going, you know, this doesn't even work, right? It doesn't. So I just look at this, you know, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. I I laugh a lot, thank God. But, um, yeah, (laughs) it's it's bad. We are so being played. We are really being played. And it's amazing. It's amazing what they get away with. Fortunately, there are individuals who recognize it. But I would say the mass majority of people are just buying it. They're just, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. going along with the plan. And until... They see something really disastrous happen that might shock them. I don't know what kind of change we're going to get there. Oh. So another week in the uh, in the activities in the uh, Ukrainian variant, unfortunately, and COVID is just a distant, distant memory, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh no, but it's coming back. It's coming oh, it? back. Yes, I've heard all of these things. It's coming back, and. It, and then, you know, we might not be able to control it this way or that, but we can control it with social distancing. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, they've got, I don't know what they have, some kind of something standing up for, for Bill Gates. And uh, he, he <laughs> the, stuff that the, the stuff he was spewing out of his mouth, um, unbelievable that anybody would believe this. And then they were like, I can't believe people think that I'm, I'm uh, uh, you know, trying to kill people. <laughs> I was like, well, actually, you know, if I was making that film, I would have put some of the clips spliced in there of you saying that you actually are trying to kill people. I mean, yeah, it's uh, based coming out of your own mouth. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting times. Um, you know, all you can do, I think, is to put the stuff in front of people and try to try to get them to wake up enough that they exercise some discernment. I really think, you know, in the long haul, we're, we're in a, we are at war We're in a battle. You can call it whatever you want. I call it spiritual warfare. Uh, you can call it anything you want, but the bottom line is, is we have to wake up, uh, collect who we are. We're, we're sovereign beings and use our discernment. And until that happens, I mean, like the discernment of looking at a photograph going, well, this doesn't even make sense, right? Um, even if it's at that level, you know, or well beyond. I think that's what yeah. each person has to do. What's quite unusual as well is in these sanctions, people talk about these sanctions, uh, you know, changing the, the dynamic of the world. Uh, Joe Biden is saying it's Putin's war, Putin's invasion, it's Putin's fault and so on. Um, you know, Putin's oil barrel price and so on uh well here in in turkey the 
Turkey isn't a NATO member, but on the other hand, it has not come to the same level of the uh, uh, same degree with, in terms of the sanctions with, with Russia. And you know, energy is still flowing. When I say energy, I'm talking about gas, I presume oil. I'm, I'm not sure 100%, but I, I have not looked into it this week, as I say. Um, but despite all of that, you would imagine that in that case, Turkey is not being as badly damaged in terms of sanctions. Uh, or, or should I say the reverberations or echoes from the, the sanctions put on, on Russia. And yet, around us, uh, we've just entered the month of May, which means that the figures uh, for April are now available, uh, which clearly show that the country has now uh, reached an inflation level of beyond 70%. So some people are worrying about going above 7%. Try 70 mm. uh, it's starting to make life actually different. You know, you fill up with gas, um, or petrol, benzene, whatever you want to call it, and you put the same amount of money in, and you're only getting like about two lights instead of six on your little fuel indicator. Wow. <laughs> you know, and this is this is the, the you know the odd thing is that this people are still sucking up this uh, Ukrainian variant. You know, it, it's oh that must be the reason. That's that's why it is. Uh, so, yes, what we could all do is a, a way to reach people, a way to reach the people who have not yet awakened. And perhaps the graphic novel route is an excellent way to do this. So uh, I'm looking forward to hear all about that later this evening. I am, too. I am, too. It's a, a really, as an artist, well, in fact, all three of us are artists. <laughs> we can appreciate that. It's the artist who's able to bring heart and soul to material that otherwise would be very dry and, and um, able to look into the soul of humanity, into our own souls and bring that forward so that there's some glimmer, some recognition of a deeper truth and the arts, and when I say the arts, I don't mean just visual. Of course, I mean writing and music and all the arts. They are fantastic tools for that, and that's what separates us from the AI robots, is that soul spirit that we have. And tonight's guest, Andy Steele, is going to illuminate us some more. I'm going to take us to break. You're listening to The Other Side of the News. Why? You're listening to the other side of the news, and our show tonight is Drawing Out Truth. Co-hosting are Annette Driscoll, Timothy Saunders, and myself, Kinthea, and we shall return. A long time ago, there seems to have been an intervention, not creation, but an intervention of another species in the universe like us, and they have intervened in our affairs. They are not from here, but they are able to dominate the planet. They have come here pushing themselves into our life in our country, in our earth, and they have been able to dominate the planet. 
And so we look to them to lead us. The point being is that they are our leaders. They're far superior to us in intelligence so they can act like they are our leaders and we believe them. And therefore, we are accepting their way of life. And they have guided us through the, all the millenniums of of the time in which man has been on the earth, we've been led by them. And I believe that they are profoundly evil, but have been leading us knowing that we do not understand what's going on and they're getting ready to plan to use us. And so that's what our politicians are all about. That's what politics is all about. That's what science is all about, or medicine. All of these people are not, as far as I'm concerned, are not human. They are extraterrestrial in origin. They are biological entities, but they are leading us. They are able to inculcate ideas and belief systems into the human race and we just accept it without thinking about where they come from and that's why we are in the trouble we're in today because now is finally beginning to look like we've been planned and this, this has been planned for a long time to put us into a position to become slaves to them and we are slaves to our masters there's no doubt about that Hello, this is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Other Side of the News. And welcome back to The Other Side of the News. Our guest tonight is Andy Steele, and I'm really delighted to uh, share a little info about him. He is the Operations Manager for Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, as well as the host for 9-11 Free Fall Podcast. He has been a contributing writer for a number of alternative news sites, including two magazines in Brazil and the AE 9-11 Truth online news pages. Steele started looking into 9-11 Truth in 2005, shortly after returning from his service as a Peace Corps volunteer in Uzbekistan, where he was a teacher and community organizer. After extensive research, he began posting articles related to 9-11 truth and other important issues and eventually expanded his efforts to producing his own videos. In 2010, Steele joined the volunteer team at AE 9-11 Truth. Since then, he has headed a number of projects for the organization, including the successful C-SPAN call-in campaign in 2013 to 2014, culminated in the August 1st, 2014 appearance of the AE 9-11 Truth founder and CEO Richard Gage, who's been our guest on this show several times, and on C-SPAN's Washington Journal program. Currently, that's a 40-minute interview, has more views than any other episodes on the channel's website. 
In 2012, Steele created and began producing the 9-11 Free Fall podcast, which first aired on June 15th of that year. In July 2015, Steele started working full-time for AE 9-11 Truth, heading up its volunteer efforts. This total immersion in the evidence and people surrounding 9-11 inspired him to create a graphic novel born on 9-11 to illustrate the unfolding of the tragic and sinister events of that fateful day. In Born on 9-11, Andy tells a story in a unique and emotionally moving way that is easy to understand, remember, and share. If you want to find that book, you can go to ae911truth.org, and it's on the homepage there. And you can also find Andy's podcast at 911freefall. That's one word, 911freefall.com. Welcome to the other side of the news, Andy. So good to have you with us. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you so much for having me tonight and shining a spotlight on this important issue. Thank you. Thank you. It seems like a really timely uh, timely to bring you on at this time. We've had the lawyers committee on that have uh, gone to court for the 9-11 inquiry, and we've had Richard Gage on. And so it only seems appropriate to bring you on because I think you know, one of the things I'm curious about is like I was looking at your podcast and you've interviewed so many people around this, what what happened on that day. And also you've created this graphic novel which brings the viewer into the experience in a very potent way. And I thought, you of all people really have the inside scoop or the behind the scenes view of what's going on because you're like tracking this huge overview and distilling it and bringing it into a medium that your everyday citizen that we can uh, understand and emotionally integrate. So I'm curious, what, what do you see from behind the scenes as to how evidence is coming forward and who's trying to help or block it? Well, we all know uh, who's trying to block it. It's MSM, it's government officials. Uh, They do that first by their silence, by simply just pretending that this evidence doesn't exist, pretending that it's been debunked years ago, just clinging to the same talking points that they have for years, saying that the 9-11 Commission report refuted everything that you guys have to say even though it's not the 9-11 Commission report, it's the NIST reports that they, that they point to or should be pointing to, but even the NIST reports are blatantly false, and we have proven that. Um, so just from our experience in dealing with the powers that be, the people that we have to go to to try to get some kind of official acknowledgement, that's what the people want. That's what we want to hear is that uh, you know, at the very least we get a new investigation out of this. Uh, at least from them, we've gotten a lot of signs that basically these people don't even really know the official story that they are defending. A lot oh. of them don't even know that the third tower fell on that day, and that is the smoking gun of the entire case. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of education that has to be done out there to our government officials, to the mainstream media, 
Um, but there's forces out there, usually in leadership, that don't want to let the stuff get out. We're always button heads with them, um, sort of behind the scenes, um, you know. So it's amazing to me that after all these years, that they can still manage to squelch the information, to to hide it, to to cover it up, because certainly there is a mass growing number of that are waking up to these dastardly deeds. And how do they, how do they manage to keep it so under wraps? It's it's, it's unimaginable. Politics and the, the allure of money and fame. I mean, it's basically a human issue. I've said this so many times on my show, the scientific case has already been made 10 years ago, I would say, when I was first uh, starting my show, uh, we've already proven, to my satisfaction, and I got a pretty high bar of, of uh, evidence that I have to meet for me to be completely committed to something, but to my satisfaction that these buildings, these three high-rises that were in New York that fell suddenly, in the case of Building 7, straight down symmetric, basically into its own footprint, in the case of the Twin Towers, um, uh, you know, they, they want to see this top block crush the the bottom part all the way to the you know all the way to the ground absolutely impossible because there's no resistance there's no deceleration as this top block hits the lower part and we'll get into all that later um but to my satisfaction these buildings were brought down to controlled demolition but here's the good news we had a e911 truth talking to the engineers architects general public we don't even ask you to meet us at that point here in this debate all we say is let's have a new investigation, considering the number of lives that were lost in those towers, but not only in those towers, in the years that followed, in the wars that followed to avenge 9-11, in the first responders who got sick breathing in the toxic air. For them, 9-11 happens a little bit every day if they are still alive. Many of them are dying as a result of the buildings coming down, as a consequence of these controlled demolitions. So considering all that, what harm is there in simply rerunning the analysis, doing another investigation that looks at all the evidence, no matter where it leads? And that's what we ask people to sign on to when they sign our petition, to have that new investigation. And that's what we're seeking. Um, but you know, in answer to your question, I mean, there are a lot of people out there who agree with us on the need for a new investigation. We can see this when we do outreach to professional organizations for engineers and architects. You'll have people at the lower levels who are like chapter presidents of their local branch who will say, yeah, let's have a presentation. Bring one of your engineers. We're happy to set it up. It sounds interesting. And then somebody from above will uh, come in and you give them a talking to and suddenly the story changes and they can't cover it anymore. They can't have the presentation. They'll say, we don't want to get into anything controversial. We don't want to get into anything uh, political usually the same kinds of excuses but the real political issue here is that uh, these professional organizations don't want to deal with this they do not want to have to take on this issue unfortunately though some of them have you know stepped their foot into it by giving uh, credence to the NIST report giving their backing to it and uh, they can't avoid it you know you're gonna have to speak up and when you have a report like NIST which is just a a bunch of uh, just Incorrect information listed in this volume, I and mean, we can point out parts where they where they got things wrong, where they left out structural features, parts of the building in order to try to make their already impossible collapse scenario possible. Um, 
you know, is so full with errors that if this was not a political issue, if this was not an issue involving something as heavy as 9-11, they would be called to the carpet. They would absolutely be called to the carpet. But unfortunately, because there's a cover-up going on and uh, NIST remains silent and, uh, you know, we're taking them to court right now. So we're going to see how that goes. So hopefully by taking them to court, it will open up a new investigation. Is that well, this is, let me give you the context of what is going on with our court case. So the 9-11 families uh, and 8-9-11 Truth are suing NIST because we submitted a request for correction. It was written up by our brilliant director of strategy, Ted Walter. Uh, and uh, request for correction is basically what uh, it sounds like. You send a request into a government agency like NIST uh, on the report. You point out all of the errors in their report. Uh, we did this with World Trade Center 7, uh, and then they just refused to acknowledge it. They re- well, they acknowledge it, but they refused to make any kind of changes. Uh, they don't really even defend their report either. They just, they just kind of blanket, you know, say that we're going to, um, you know, not make uh, any changes to it. So How can they get away with that? <laughs> well, yeah, I, <laughs> I wish I had an answer for that. I mean, <laughs> like, really, how can they get away with it? I mean, we we got to put a link to that petition because this is ridiculous. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the, our lawsuit alleges that this violated federal law in its denial of the request for uh, for correction, um, and uh, you know, basically, we were calling for them to throw out the conclusions of the 2008 report on Building Seven that they did. So the goal of this lawsuit is to obtain a court order that will force NIST to perform a new analysis and develop a new probable collapse sequence that is actually physically possible and actually looks like what the videos uh, show. Because interesting enough, okay, so let me just step back because you may have listeners who don't even really know what I'm talking about when I talk about World Trade Center 7 and NIST. First of all, NIST is the National Institute of Standards and Technology. That is the agency that the federal government tapped to give us an explanation for why these three high rises fell. We're all familiar with the Twin Towers. Airplanes struck them. Uh, We'll get to that in just a moment. But at 520 in the afternoon on that day, we have this third high rise, 47 stories, Building 7. Would have been the tallest building in 33 of our states. Pretty big. And, And, you know, overshadowed by the Twin Towers, of course. What a darn big building. And at 520 in the in the afternoon, uh, it just comes down straight, symmetric, straight down. It looks just like a controlled demolition when you watch it. And I challenge your listeners to go to YouTube if they haven't buried videos of it completely yet. Uh, or go to dogpile.com, type in WTC7 falling, and watch it. Watch it without any commentary on one side or the other. Ask yourself, what does it look like brought this building down? Typically, when you show it to people who have no idea about this issue, they'll say, oh, it looks like they put explosives in that building and you know, rigged it to come down. Well, so instinctively, when people watch this building come down, it looks like a controlled demolition. Uh, when we see high-rises, steel-frame high-rises catch fire in the past, um, before and after 9-11, what they typically do is they will light up, and some of them have I mean, there's been some pretty bad high-rise fires in history, and they will light up like a torch in the night. But 
the entire building does not come straight down like we saw with Building 7. In fact, pieces of it might fall away, but it still leaves a smoldering steel skeleton. There's a reason that they use structural steel. And one of the reasons is that uh, when you have a fire come uh, happen, that the building is not going to just suddenly collapse on people's heads. Imagine this. I mean, ba based on the logic that NIST has given us with this report, because their explanation for why this building came down was because of random office fires. People who study controlled demolitions do this for a living and uh, put a lot of time and energy, you know, rigging explosives to make these buildings come down perfectly. They don't have to do that, apparently. Just get some jet fuel fires and, uh, you know, set it around a certain, a certain column and run and watch the building come down a couple hours later. This doesn't make any sense. Now, Building 7 did sustain some damage when the first uh, – when the North Tower – uh, came down that day. Um, it was in the corner of the building, but NIST says that the building, that the collapse initiation happened on the opposite corner of the building because they, that's what you observe, uh, you know, or that's what you know, they're they're looking at when they see the building come down. The corner, the corner that sustained the damage from the fall of the North Tower, they even acknowledged that that did not play a key element in initiating this building's collapse right in their report so and was there even uh, some footage of a plane supposedly flying into it well there I mean, was no is, airplane that flew into yeah the so seven. so what are they saying yeah so well let me, give you, no, let, me let me tell you what NIST says happened to this building and then we're going to pull it apart okay so what NIST says happened is that north tower came down it started some fires in world trade center seven and uh these fires burn. Now you can see the fires kind of burn in one area and then move on, burn in one area and move on. Uh, around the time that the building came down, 520, the fires around a particular column got so hot that they caused these beams above to expand, thermal expansion, right? And they pushed this girder off of its seat and the girder came crashing down and then it initiated this whole series of events inside the building to cause the interior of the building to fall first and then the exterior to fall afterwards. And that's why it looks like it's falling in a uniform fashion. Now, if you're sitting on your couch with a remote control, barely paying attention, it sounds sciencey, it sounds good, and you might flick the channel and not think twice about it, but let's take a look at what this explanation says. So a one column failure initiated an entire collapse of a building and they say that the interior fell first except we don't see any signs of that on the outside of the building the interior is attached to the exterior okay this is just common sense stuff and I, I hope that my talent here is boiling this down into terms that most people here can understand but we don't see any warpage on the outside of the building uh, we don't see any signs of that whatsoever. And on its face, it doesn't make any sense. The outside is not going to remain standing like Wiley e. Coyote stepping off of the cliff. And he doesn't realize that he's not standing on the cliff until he looks down and then falls. Um, it's going to go along with the building. Now, what's interesting is that NIST relied on computer model science when they did this analysis. And they make this computer model. And you can do a side-by-side -side comparison of it. And... Uh, they only go up to the point of collapse initiation with Building 7, 
And here's why I suspect, I mean, they have their own explanation, but I try to think about what the possible real motives are because in their computer animation, when you hold it side by side with what really happened, their, their model doesn't mimic what actually, what we actually saw. Their model begins to twist on itself like a soda can. Uh, and in real life, again, it fell straight down uniformly. So they stop the animation. They say, that's good enough. That's good enough. We don't need to go through the entire collapse. We're going to stop there. We only need to tell you how the collapse initiated here. And so we have a problem here because, again, even their own model begins to betray. And what's funny is that this, they, they betray their own explanation with the interior of the building falling first. And the exterior, because at one hand, they're trying to make an explanation why it looks so uniform, but then they're even their own computer model can't make it look uniform. So, well, the gall of these criminals is amazing. I mean, I mean, they're not even embarrassed to put this out. I mean, like they just assume that people will swallow it. I mean, how stupid do they think we are? Well, I, I think they just count on people. You know, I mean, 2001 was a very different time. Uh, we weren't as guarded back then. Uh, in, in 2008, I, still not as guarded. And so, no, I don't think they counted on, on people like yourselves, uh, people like 8911 Truth, getting the kind of traction we were getting on the Internet. Now they've got a problem because I would, I would chance it to say that a majority of the public has heard about these issues, and a growing percentage of that public is agreeing with us. A growing percentage of them say, yeah, why not have that new investigation? And again, that's all we ask for. What problem is there, considering all of these issues? And so when they did their analysis, too, I mean, you want to talk about just, uh, you know, you talk asking about the gall of these people. They omitted parts of the building in order to make their collapse ana- uh, analysis happen. I actually have a page in my graphic novel that uh, covers this, for instance, they omitted the presence of the stiffener plates and the shear studs in their analysis, and this would have countered the thermal expansion and prevented the girder walk-off. Uh, and so by leaving out the shear studs, it allowed NIST to pretend that the beams were moving independently of the floor slab above them. So they wanted to act like it wasn't attached to the floor slab. That makes a huge difference in this analysis. Um, and they also got measurements wrong. And, uh, you know, and this is laid out in, in the book, too. Uh, when you get your math wrong when you're in school and you submit that on a test, what happens? You get a big red mark through it, and you get an F uh, on the paper handed back to you. But, of course, NIST gets to elude this because there is uh, a political agenda uh, tied to September 11th. Well, we're going to counter that. We have a lawsuit going on now. We have many actions going on now. Um, another fact that I have yet to mention is that for this scenario that I laid out, you know, thermal expansion of beams pushing your girder off of its seat, you have to have raging hot fires in the area where this supposedly happened. Except an hour before, we have photographs that show the fires were out in the supposed <laughs> area of collapse initiation. How do we, you know, what do we do about that? Yeah. So, I mean, NIST looked, overlooked observable facts. And they obfuscated this entire affair. And so that is, uh, that is why we keep on doing what we're doing, why AE 9-11 Truth exists and continues to need to exist. And so we're always looking for support uh, from our, our people, or the great supporters that we have. I mean, we have currently over 3,500 architects and engineers and tens of thousands of just regular, awesome, rank-and-file supporters 
who have really kept up on this issue and have the same passion today as they had, oh, I mean, some of them 20 years ago, right from the day mm-hmm. that it happened when they were where they were calling uh, this is a, a big lie, you know, watching it on TV. And so that's why they're great. So, so it seems to me that when this does go to court, I mean, it goes for a second review of the facts and it will i i'm sure that you will prevail in court that not only should the uh the government or whoever did this be held accountable but the review board the nist board they are accomplices because they are hiding they're covering up they should be on trial too definitely anyone who's trying to hide this is an accomplice yeah, well, I mean, there, there was so much, and it's not just the people on the internet talking about this. I mean, we have a study from the University of Alaska Fairbanks that came out a couple of years ago, and the conclusion of the study is that fire did not cause the collapse of World Trade Center 7 on 9-11, uh, and that there was a global failure involving the near simultaneous failure of every column in the building. I'm quoting right from the website here. That is only possible. Now I'm adding this myself. That is only possible with explosives bringing this building down. So this is the university of Alaska Fairbanks is involved. We have two, two conflicting reports here. Um, And so that should be enough to compel any interested engineer or engineering organization to take this issue up, but they are afraid to because of, you know, ramifications and pressure and all that stuff that we're constantly going up against. Well, there will be a breakthrough. It seems like the domino effect is what we're waiting for because there's cover-ups everywhere and one is tied to another is tied to another. I'm confident that there will be a breakthrough. I hope I see it sooner than later, but I know it's coming in my heart. I know it's coming. I know that the movement is gaining the petition. We will share your petition on our show page. And also donate, you know, if you want to help this court because uh, court cases are expensive. And um, we need to get this through for justice for all of us. This was like the beginning of when they really went hard to steal our freedoms. And we need to turn all of that around. And together we can and we will. Amen. Look, I don't I don't come into anything to lose. I think there will be an acknowledgement at the end how much they want to procrastinate it, how much they want to try to uh, stifle it. It's just going to delay the inevitable. The American people are waking up, and there's a secondary benefit to our activism, too. When we remind people about this, it makes them more guarded, more vigilant about other things that come up. And even though AE 9-11 Truth doesn't get into other issues, our narrow focus, the only thing that we talk about and love talking about – is the evidence of controlled demolitions at these towers. Um, I think we're having an impact on everything happening right now. And so let's say I have a high school kid out there listening to this podcast right now. You know what? Someday he's going to be a congressman. Right. And that will influence his decisions moving forward. So this is a really good time for us to go to break. Uh, You're listening to the other side of the news. And our guest tonight is Andy Steele. He's Uh, created this wonderful graphic novel called Born on 9-11. And uh, co-hosting are Annette Driscoll and Timothy Saunders and myself, Kinthea. The show is called Drawing Out Truth. We shall return. 
TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. One of the ways that this organized crime system has been able to monopolize the media and has been able to uh, control the government and control perception on a wide scale is because it's the banks at the core and they've been given the privilege of creating money out of thin air using a technique called fractional reserve banking. Where the central banks backstop the money center banks to create money out of thin air. So when you go to get a loan, whether it's a mortgage or a car loan, that's not deposit money for loaning you. Uh, they just credit your account with some dollar credits and you're off to the races. And then you spend the rest of your life paying interest on a mortgage that somebody created out of thin air. And that's the reason why the bank is the largest building in every city on the planet. Because they're making outrageous profits by getting to loan money at interest that they created out of thin air. This is Etienne de la Boissy Squared, the author of Government's Biggest Scam in History, Exposed. And some of my favorite conversations are the ones that I have on the other side of the news. With Timothy, Anetta, and Kentia. Thank you for doing what you do and providing the service that you provide. And welcome back to the other side of the news. This evening, our guest is Andy Steele, and he is the author of Born on 9-11. Our show tonight is Drawing Out Truth, and he has written a graphic novel. Uh, So it's a a novel that's 
it's mostly illustrations with, with the, the uh, writing in between. From looking at it, that's what I see here. And um, I, I had a bunch of different questions that Kintia kind of went through, but I wanted to start with the place at this point of if you, uh, you know, to me, okay, to me, 9-11 is a day that I'll never forget. I remember exactly what I was doing when I heard what had happened. I think most people that experienced that day, it, it's not something that you're going to just forget. But let's say that uh, you're either approaching someone who is younger than that or someone who is unaware that there was ever a problem. They're still completely buying the narrative where would you start them down the path of, of opening their eyes, even to the point of, you know, uh, getting them to be interested in your your book? Where would you start with that? What I've typically done over the years, if I'm just having a casual conversation with someone out in public and they don't really know a lot about this issue, if I know that, I ask them first to just watch a simple video of Building 7 coming down. When I ask them, what does it look like brought that building down, their first knee-jerk reaction typically is bombs in the in the building it was a you know a controlled demolition they don't know that it's on 9-11 that this building uh, is falling and then i just tell them that this this is the third tower that fell on september 11th they say random office fires did this to this building does it look like fire could do that to a steel frame high-rise like this and that usually opens their mind at least a little bit to hear more information and uh, I mean, there are so many elements of evidence <clears throat> that are involved in this issue. I could probably talk about it for hours. And if you've only got a quick elevator pitch with people, I mean, we have the physics, you know, and, and we only focus on, again, the scientific evidence of controlled demolition at the World Trade Center. There's other people in the 9-11 truth movement who talk about other elements. and They'll say things like, where was our Air Force? You know, was there a stand down? All this stuff. Here's what I say. Where was our physics on September 11th? Who ordered the stand down of physics? Now, of course, that's meant to be ridiculous because nobody can order a stand down of physics. Yet that is exactly what NIST would have us believe in a roundabout way. Uh, when you watch Building 7 come down, the free fall acceleration of this building comes down in seven seconds. 2.5 seconds of that is in free fall, they were forced to admit. Uh, so that was only possible if you have explosives, if the building's not meeting resistance for those stories. In the case of the Twin Towers, we're, we're told that this top block is crushing the lower block all the way down to the bottom. Well, there's a problem with this. First of all, this top block is destroying itself in the first couple of seconds as these buildings are coming down in both cases of each towers. Uh, it's destroying itself. And there's no deceleration. There was actually a paper written by Tony Zambodi and Graham McQueen, two very smart people. And what they noted when they measured this, uh, this top block is that there's no deceleration as it hits the lower portion. Now, think about this. You have a hammer hit a nail. All right. Even if the hammer drives the nail through the wood, it will still slow down. So what I would say to the young person is how can the top part of a building crush the lower part? without slowing down. And if the person is intellectually honest, they'll say that isn't possible. And even NIST admits that the Twin Towers fell, quote, essentially in free fall. Now, you've got two contradictions here because it's supposedly causing all of this damage. It's pulverizing all of this material. I mean, you can, we all watched it, all the powder that went out all over Manhattan. That's going to be a hard impact uh, to create the kind of energy that you need 
in order to you know pulverize uh, all these materials. Yet the buildings are falling in free fall. So how does that happen? How do you have that hard impact if they're falling without meeting resistance? So there's contradictions here. So the physics doesn't add up. Uh, we have the extreme temperatures. I mean, we have fires that burnt at ground zero for weeks following the event. Uh, they, they have documented in the first report done by FEMA in Appendix C, uh, they have steel partially evaporated, holes like Swiss cheese documented there. That takes 4,000 degree temperatures. Jet fuel cannot get that hot. It's only about 1,800 degrees that it can get up to. And the steel can't even begin to melt until around two, uh, 2,750. So what is causing this melted steel? You can actually see it falling out of the side of the South Tower on the morning of September 11th. Bright orange, and you know NIST wants to tell you that's molten aluminum from the airplanes. No, because September 11th, as we all remember, was bright blue daylight conditions. In daylight conditions, uh, molten aluminum turns silver. So that is not molten aluminum coming out of that building. I mean, we have first responders and all sorts of people describing molten iron, molten steel at ground zero. What is causing these kinds of high temperatures that the jet fuel cannot account for? Uh, and then we also have the presence of nanothermite in the dust. Now, there's a study done by Niels Herrett out of the University of Copenhagen, uh, Denmark, and he had a whole team behind him of other scientists, and they analyzed the World Trade Center dust. And one of the first things that you'll note is that there's these little iron microspheres found all throughout it, and it was so prevalent that the other reports, other reports done by more mainstream sources actually use these little iron microspheres to differentiate World Trade Center dust from what they call background dust, which is dust that has nothing to do with the World Trade Center disaster that day. And uh, these iron microspheres are, well, and actually, let me, I'll get back to them in just a moment. Let's talk about these little uh, red gray chips that were also found in the World Trade Center dust. Uh, when they were analyzed by Carrot's team, uh, they were found to uh, basically, uh, and there was an ignition test done on them, and they produced these iron microspheres. That is a byproduct of a thermitic reaction. So basically, these uh, iron microspheres are so are very prevalent. The other side wants to say that they're primer paint, but you can do the ignition test. You can watch them up on YouTube. When the when our, these red gray chips are ignited, they spark up. Just like a, a thermite, uh, they form these iron microspheres, and uh, when a primer paint chip is ignited, it just turns black and crinkles. So we have that there. We have those three elements. We have the physics, we have the high temperatures, and we have the presence of these incendiaries found in the dust. So that would be my elevator pitch. Now, it's funny is that when you ask NIST to do the same tests on the dust that mm -hmm. Niels Herrett and his team did, they say that uh, they won't do it. When you ask them why they won't do it, they'll give you the circular logic that says, well, we don't expect to find anything, so we don't need to. That <laughs> is government logic right there. Well, we've it, been hearing a lot of that lately, huh? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that our entire news and our history over the last 20 years has turned into one big Simpsons episode. And if it wasn't so tragic, it would be funny, but we have people that died on that day. So that is why we got to keep beating the drum 
on this particular thing because uh, frankly, those people deserve justice. And so do the people that I mentioned earlier, the people who continue to die and their stories need to be told. Hence why we do what we do at AE911 Truth, why we make the documentaries, why we have all the projects that we have going on, reaching out to the ASCE and other uh, professional engineering organizations. You know, I do the podcast every week to keep the uh, the home fires burning here and keep everybody informed on exactly uh, what we are pursuing. Uh, we've got the NIST lawsuit. we got a, a pursuit for a new inquest in the UK going on as well. Uh, Matt Campbell, his uh, mm-hmm. brother Jeff, died on 9-11, and he is, wants to petition his government for a new inquest into his brother's death death because it didn't take into account the uh, evidence that AE 911 Truth puts forth. But we've got a lot of stuff going on. And uh, it's one of the reasons I wrote this book as well, because there, there is not enough ways that you can get this information out to people. And I thought this would be a really fun and uh, kind of interesting way for people to take in the evidence while reading a really good story. Um, and uh, so we just went ahead and did it. But, you know, it's just so many great people that we have here with so many different fires burning and uh, eventually something is going to bubble up to the surface. We do have a lot of victories and maybe we do ourselves a disservice when we don't talk about them as much as the obstacles, but uh, it's it's a million small things done well every day that's going to win the war for us. I'm actually stealing that line from a piece of World War II propaganda that I heard. A thousand Uh, small cuts. A thousand small cuts. But, you know, I just say, uh, you know, thousand small things done well every day is what wins wars. And we are in a war. It's a war of information. It's a war for the public consciousness. And I really think for the soul of the entire world and whether we can face reality, whether we can face the scientific truth of what happened on that day. And I think that we are ready for it in this country and in this world. And I think we'll be a better people for it if uh, if we come to an acknowledgement of what really happened. I, I, I can't agree more. And, and you know, I think it's, uh, I think that all of the people that were killed and all the people that continue to die and all of that, they all deserve the truth. But everyone on the planet does because we had a total change. Like I said at the beginning, you know, when 9-11 occurred, there was all of a sudden this Patriot Act. And the Patriot Act was clearly prescripted they did not write it in three days or whatever BS they gave us, uh, you know, and then they continue to do that. And they they used it as an excuse, just like we're seeing with the pandemic, to erode uh, freedoms, things that we never even would consider would be an issue. Uh, that's that's the tactic is the same. So exposing uh, this atrocity that they played up among, you know, upon the people not only takes the lid off of this particular incident, which was huge, and all of the wars, the subsequent wars, and everything else that happened because of their lies. Uh, but it also will expose how they've done this over and over and over again, all these other uh, false flags that have occurred. And uh, so, yes, it's, it's, it's critically important. And do you get into, uh, Andy, do you get into this, any of the historical uh, data, for example, you know, Larry Silverstein had these leases, took out all this insurance. But the thing that was so unusual about 9-11 is up until that day, it is my understanding that no steel structured 
high rise had ever collapsed in in the history uh based on fire or or something like that and that day we we supposedly were supposed to believe that we had three of them come down on the same day do you get into any of that in your book or um those how that connects well, I don't mention Larry Silverstein by name, but it definitely goes into the fa- the facts that you just recited. And actually, it's so funny. I was uh, calling people in the ASCE chapter heads for uh, getting presentations scheduled for engineers, and you expect them to be skeptical. You expect them to be not friendly, but that's actually not the case. Actually, one guy was like, oh, yeah, three buildings, uh, three high-rises just fall straight down for the first time in history in one site on one day. Yeah, I'm familiar with this. So there's people out there who get it. They get it. And uh, everything you said was just absolutely true. Now, in in our book, it's a fictional story, meaning that the characters that I created here, for the most part, with the exception of some cameos by some people that are very well known in the movement, um, they are fictional people. But the facts that they're laying out, 9-11, of course, these are all very real things. And uh, throughout the book, the evidence that I'm talking about tonight is worked into the story. I don't want to give anything away, uh, but there is a, a conclusion to it that uh, really is evidence heavy. Actually, it's a pretty good aid for notes for uh, activists when they're talking about this issue. And it's about a 18 year old kid. Uh, he was born on September 11th, just as his father, who was a firefighter in New York city dies in the uh, North Tower of the, of the World Trade Center. He actually runs back in, runs into the building even after the South Tower comes down to try to save more lives. So as, as he dies, his son is born. And then around his 18th birthday, he begins to question September 11th. It's sort of like an event that's been looming over his head his entire life. And as he begins to question it and takes more steps, and he, he meets another person who kind of prompts him and gives him uh, his courage to come out and speak out. It, it also causes other forces to uh, come forward in the media to uh, challenge him, to uh, kind of attack his character. And, uh, and everybody can read it in the book, but uh, it comes to a, a conclusion that I think is realistic and something that uh, people can feel hope from. Because, you know, something I always want to convey, um, you know, I can talk about the evidence and Really, anybody who studies this enough can, but I really want to try to convey some sense of hope out there to people because I, I, I run into so many people who say, like, I'm just one person. What, is, what difference can I make? Well, I'm going to tell you what. You can make more of a difference than the millions of other people out there who are saying the same thing. All you got to do is show up. That's the great thing about life. All you, I mean, 90% is just showing up and doing the work. There's a lot of talented people out there, but that's a dime a dozen. What you got to do is you got to decide that you are going to make a difference. And sometimes you make a difference and you have no idea that you did. I mean, there are people who have been woken up by other people. I was woken up by a, uh, it wasn't YouTube. It was something else that doesn't exist anymore, but it was a video website. Somebody put in information about 9-11 on there. I woke up as a result of that. And, you know, I've done some things for the 9-11 truth movement as a result, but somebody not even knowing me somewhere else in the world decided to upload that video. So, you know, anytime you do something, you may not see what the results of your actions are, but it doesn't mean you're not having an impact. So that's something I try to inspire with 
this story in Born on 9-11 and try to instill in people is like, you look, just have faith in yourself and believe that no matter what you do, if you have a podcast, let's say you've only got you know 40 listeners or something like that. Uh, when you're starting out and you'll say, oh, is this even worth doing? Yes, it absolutely is because you have no idea how you're, how, you know, how that pebble you've thrown out into the pond with the ripples that are being created in the water, how it's touching other things. So just, you know, start off by doing that work and then, if, you know, you can get bigger as you go. But, but honestly, yeah, if you're doing something, then you're winning. So that's something that I want to convey to your audience and what I tried to convey in the story. Well, I, I can tell you the, the three of us plus our, our sound engineer, Keith, let me tell you, we all totally agree and believe that we wouldn't be doing this. This isn't, you know, this isn't uh, easy or, or all that fun sometimes. <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes I'd like a Friday night off, but whatever. <laughs> um, the thing is, is that, yeah, we all, they, you know, the, uh, the actions of one person, change that's the only way uh, a world has changed because each person can only take the actions for that one person so if we understand that and know that that's the power that every single person has and if they just exercise it and they ask questions you know start if you don't know what else to do start questioning things uh, that's the place where you always have to start i think um I mean, that, that's how I became interested in, in the 9-11 thing. But, you know, when I saw it, I was in the middle of a cross-country move. I was literally loading a truck. And uh, I didn't even question it, right? It, it just, it, the narrative was, was put out there. And I bought a hook, line, and sinker for at least a year. It affected my life really negatively. But I didn't question it, you know? Because that's what we're trained to do. So just the questioning process, just to get someone to wake up and ask a question is, is massive, if, if, if you can do that. So um, anyway, I wanted to, to talk to you about a few other little points, and this may or may not be in your, your wheelhouse with this, because um, you're very much about all the structural things and the, the facts and figures. But I found that, uh, you know, do you ever come up, or is it in the book, the, the, uh, when the British Bullshit Corporation was out front? Uh, reporting 20 minutes before the building fell that it fell is that uh, something that comes up in there <laughs> it does uh towards the end yes uh and just to give some context to your audience uh she is referring to the bbc on september 11th this is a great point i'm glad you brought it up uh the bbc reports that building seven this is jane stanley there was a reporter they go to her live via satellite on a television screen over their backs. And um, I shouldn't be laughing because it's, you know, it's a tragic day, but the, the, these people are, are so ridiculous sometimes I, I can't help it. Um, but she's on the screen reporting that the Solomon Brothers building has already collapsed. The Solomon Brothers building was Building 7. It was just the, the name of it. And uh, right there over her shoulder, you see Building 7 is still standing up. It hadn't collapsed yet. Somehow, somehow she got the memo ahead of time. And I'm not saying that Jane Stanley was involved or anything like that. She's just a reporter reading the reports that are handed to her. And then right before it actually did collapse, they lose the feed mysteriously. Isn't that interesting? CNN actually reported the collapse earlier in the day. So I guess they get the trophy for uh, predicting it. What's interesting, too, is if you talk to debunkers, they want to say that there was – and this is based off of the testimony – that the uh, I believe it was the deputy fire chief 
when talking to the BBC said later on in an interview is that there was an engineer on the ground advising the fire department and that he advised them that um, building seven was going to come down in about five hours. And then, wow, five hours later, it comes right down. That is some accurate predictions for an event that had never happened before. I mean, again, you know, they pulled the firefighters out of the building and watched it come down. They didn't. They just abandoned firefighting efforts, and nobody's blaming the firefighters. They're just following orders. The Twin Towers had just come down and killed a lot of their friends, um, but they were pulled out, and you have an engineer saying it's going to come down in five hours. Uh, it does come down, and this is for an unprecedented event, something that had never happened before. On top of that, you have all the media reports we were just talking about. And when you look at NIST's explanation, you know, going back to raging fires, uh, steel beam or yeah, steel beams framing into a girder, pushing it off of its seat. This is all happening on the inside of the building. There was nobody in the building, supposedly. How do you make this kind of prediction when you can't even observe the initiating event, the collapse initiation mm-hmm. about to happen? Mm-hmm. So there, of course, there's some problems with this story as well. And if there really was an engineer on the scene, you know, considering all of the hit pieces that have been put out against 9-11 Truth over the years, why don't we know who he is? Or why haven't we at least heard from him? Or why didn't NIST interview him? Or why hasn't anybody interviewed him who's interested in trying to shut up people like me? Mm-hmm. I mean, even if the person wants to remain anonymous, uh, you know, their testimony could still be taken. They could put shadows on them, a voice modulator, anything. But give us somebody to uh, tell us why they made this assessment on that day. It seems like that would be something that NIST would be jumping up and down with joy to have, you know, an assessment from a person on the street. But you never hear from this person. You only hear about him in sort of this hearsay interview uh, with the, the fire chief. So, uh, you know, we have a lot of predictions going on on that day. Um, you know, it's interesting too. I watched the interview with Peter Jennings. He's passed away from, uh, since I can't remember the year he died, but it was on the day of September 11th. It was in the evening and they bring on an engineer to try to give an explanation for why the twin towers came down. And I think they were still working on that explanation. Uh, but he says something to the effect of, hey, we got a lock on why that third one came down. Now, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I don't want to speculate on what's going on in Peter Jennings' head, and unfortunately we can't ask him now. But uh, but it's just the way he asked that, as if he was having his own questions. Dan Rather says it looks uh, it's like when they, when they rig a building to bring it down. We've got the mm-hmm. clip of that. So, again, they were having that instinctive reaction. Of course, in the days after September 11th, something changes, and then they start supporting an official narrative. Actually – with the twin towers, with this pile driver theory, this top block crushing the larger lower part all the way to the bottom while somehow committing suicide on the way down. Cause you never see a top big top block sitting on the rubble pile at ground zero. Yeah. And that Bizant already had an explanation for this two days after September 11th, no time for any kind of analysis yet. They already had this explanation ready to go. So there are some major problems here with the story that we've been given, and that's why we have to ask questions, and that is exactly it. Look, I watched Building 7 come down on September 11th. I turned to my friend because he had just come back in from outside, and he said, what just happened? And I said, oh, I think they brought down a building to control the fire or something. There is nothing logical in what I just said, but that's where my mind was at in college because I, I was just floored like everybody else in the world. 
watching this. And it took me years to come across information on the internet to remind me about this building falling straight down into its own footprint that I saw on September 11th and tell me that you can't rig explosives inside a, a high rise in a day. All right. They had to know that something was coming. All oh, right. that, yeah, there's so much evidence of that. I mean, that's a whole other thing. I want, we're, we're getting close to break, and I wanted to ask you one more question about the thermite and the removal of the steel beams. You know, there was, they removed the debris ASAP to try to, like, get it out of there. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming it couldn't be tested or something. What's your take on that? Well, you would assume NIST has dust samples from uh, September 11th. If they don't, that's pretty weak on their part. Um, To me, like I said, there's been enough documented to prove that there was a controlled demolition. There's certainly steel in memorials and in places around the world, around the country uh, that could be looked at. Um, But, uh, you know, when we when we come back uh, pretty soon here, you know, I'll be happy to go over uh, some more of that and what was found, you know, when looking at the steel and some of the pictures that NIST has. Uh, a large part of the steel was taken off to China, but I, to me, like I said, the I think the evidence is enough from what mm-hmm. we all already have seen to make this case. Well, I know they had the, uh, you know, it, it certainly appeared that there was thermite in the sub-basement floors because the, the what, the steel, the metal stayed molten for weeks or something ridiculous, didn't it? Oh, there were firefighters whose boots were melting. Yeah. You know, first responders, I should say, their boots were melting there. We had fused elements of of concrete and metal down there. I mean, these are some extreme temperatures that have been documented. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll be happy to uh, to go over this a little bit further. Well, maybe we, we have another half hour. So, um I am going to take us out to break right now. Tonight, our show is Drawing Out Truth, and we are interviewing Andy Steele, who wrote Born on 9-11, and I'm co-hosting with Timothy Saunders and Cynthia, and we will be back after the break. Take a look at what is going on with us now. You have vax or no vax. You have mandates or no mandates. You have uh, pharmacies who are not allowed to make a pres- prescriptions on substances that they don't, you know, <laughs> that big pharma doesn't want them to have anymore. Somebody's in control of something. There's going to be a time, follow the money, where you're going to say, hey, Something really inappropriate's gone on here. We're being controlled. I mean, it's it's one thing to to have mandates and all these, and another thing to shut people up who say, "I would like to talk about this a little bit." No, you don't. You're not going to talk. And and so we have uh, you know people like uh, Dr. Mercola being shut down. That is not us. That's not how we operate. People ought to at least be allowed to have an opinion and state the opinion and and have uh, say, uh, I'd like you to know that a good immune system is going to help you. So here are the things for a good immune system, but I'm sorry, you can't buy them anymore because we're not allowed to. So something's going on. So that, my friend, is going to be exposed. That's another thing that you're seeing for a while and it won't last forever. So 
It's there now. But believe me, it ain't going to stay because the light's going to be turned on just like the, the abuse of the, uh, that I've just talked about of both women and kids with priests and all. It's here in an ugly way and eventually it's going to be seen. Pride says there'll be revelations or maybe even a movie about it. It's going to be the same thing that happened when we found out with tobacco that they were, of course, addicting our children and they had a cartoon and they knew that it caused cancer. And you know what happened with that. We shut that, basically shut that down and now we don't smoke anymore. Hi there, this is Lee Carroll. I want to tell you about the other side of the news. In these days where we're not really hearing much good news or perhaps even what's really happening, that's where the other side of the news is different. And in that, you're going to hear not only controversy, but you're going to hear great things. There are going to be joyful things, too. I just got done with one of the broadcasts, and I encourage you to take a listen with myself and Monica. But the other side of the news, that's what we need more of in these times. Welcome back. I'm Timothy Saunders, co-hosting with Kintia and Anesthetist School. Tonight's show is entitled drawing out truth and we're fortunate to have Andy Steele with us uh, you guys have been talking about many topics many fascinating topics so I'd like to take a little break before we go back to some of the uh, the intricate details Andy may I ask you um, what was it that inspired you to create a graphic novel in the first place what what was it the deciding moment or what was the deciding fact that said okay that's the way I'm going to go well, let me tell you, as I write in the preface of the book, I was into comic books before it was considered cool. And actually, when it was considered remarkably uncool, I mean, you you lose uh, you lose popularity points when you're 13 and you're still reading Spider-Man and all that stuff. But what the cool thing was is that I was a kid with a job. I worked at a racetrack uh, selling the, uh, the, the race uh, forms, the programs, <clears throat> and um, – so when you're a kid with an income, what are you going to spend it on? You know, so I spent a lot on comic books. I mean, I knew all the characters, all the story arcs. I knew when the darn truck was coming to the drugstore to deliver them every Thursday during fifth period. And that kind of stuck with me. And, you know, you get into adulthood, um, but you still follow it and stuff. And now it's all the superheroes are all big in the movies and such. And everybody's, it feels like everybody's caught up to me now. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, it, just proves that if you stand by something long enough, it's time will come. And I think that's going to be the case with September 11th as well. So I, you know, I've always been good at writing uh, fictional stories and I was a pretty good artist at one point back in college. I used to do cartooning for uh, the newspaper, the school newspaper. And I said, you know, this would be a cool thing to have for AE 911 truth to have. Uh, so I proposed the idea to Ted Walter, our director of strategy, gave him a general idea of what I wanted to do. But even though I didn't know where it was going to go completely in the beginning, uh, I cranked out the first chapter in one night. I wrote it in script form at first, and I just kept going, and I got it complete. And they told me, yeah, go ahead and try to do the art. So I worked on it. I had a lot of catching up to do because I had sort of put the – you know, the art stuff away to go uh, pursue 9-11. Actually, at first I tried to hire a kid from, I can't remember the country, but I think it was like the Philippines or something. Um, and it, it's no criticism of his work. He gave me about 
you know, a couple of pages as a test. And uh, but, the, but the problem was he really didn't understand September 11th. Uh, the firefighters were looking like firefighters in the Philippines and stuff like that. So I just paid him for those pages. And my friend told me, look, you're the only one that understands this enough to do this. You got to do the art. I said, OK, it's going to take a long time, though. Um, and a lot of that was just catching up and remembering uh, how to do this again. So I worked on it for a number of years at night while I did my regular work at AE during the day. Uh, I did it at night and on weekends. I mean, pretty much any t- any time I could squeeze, uh, you know, I could squeeze in for, for doing this and getting it done. And I would do some things, you know, some scenes would be done in a flash, it felt like. Other scenes took longer to do for whatever reason. They were just harder to do. Um, and then there were changes to the script that I made as I was doing the art, thinking that something might work better or a different setting would work better. Um, because, you know, I just never felt like we had our story. I remember being a kid and my mom, you know, my mom never believed in the JFK assassination story. She was really big on that growing up. I think I just cared about watching wrestling or something like that. But she, we went out to Blockbuster Video, rented JFK, it had the two tapes, two VHS tapes rubber banded together. So I knew I was in for a long movie, but I I was interested in that. And she was actually kind of emotional during that. Um, But it was a cool movie and it was something that got a lot of attention and got people talking about that issue. And I said, you know, we don't have our JFK uh, for the 9-11 truth movement. Now I don't have the resources to make a big budget movie with big name actors like Oliver Stone does, but I can draw a graphic novel. And it was something that had never been done before to my knowledge uh, up at that point. So I knew it would, uh, really generate a lot of excitement and buzz. And, uh, I think, I think we got a good product in the end. Indeed. So, so tell me about the style. What, what inspired you to choose this, uh, this graphic style? I mean, you, I've looked at only a few pages, I have to say, but that they're very striking. Um, there's a lot of use of, uh, high contrast and, and also bright color as well. I am seeing, but I mean, are you looking, uh, Deeper than obviously just illustrating, are you using these these um, these graphic styles to sort of convey a mood or a thought? Or I mean, obviously, but would you like to tell us how you came to that style? Well, I'll tell you what. You know, I, you, if you want to get into comic book fandom here, the Batman came out in '89, the Tim Burton version, and you had Batman, and then Batman Returns, and I, I just for story wise and the darkness of it, I always liked. Um, then they came out with the Joel Schumacher movies, and he said, I want to make it like a comic book. Now, unfortunately, the stories were just abominable, um, you know, the writing and some of the acting. But there was a certain aspect to it that I really liked where it did sort of capture a comic book. And I don't know if people ever paid attention to this, but if you look at the old – now we're going to jump to Marvel comics like from the 60s or, or just even the old Batman comics from the 30s. You know, they were very simple in many ways. So if somebody's thinking about time passing, you might just see them sitting in a chair and a big clock behind them, you know. And I've always loved that element. I remember when I went to college, too, there was a, there was a, the, the college library had these very kind of bright walls. And there was just something about them that felt like you were in a comic book. Like it felt like there was just an abyss all around you and nothing existed except for these two chairs, you know, where you're sitting and talking to this girl or, or whatever, sitting there and reading. So I, I've always tried to capture that. And I've always liked sort of off the wall types of uh, stories like Twin Peaks. If you ever watched that show? Um, and, I have, you know, yes, I enjoyed it actually. 
Yeah. yeah, and he uses a lot of symbolism and things like that. Now, you know, I'm trying to do a very serious subject matter here, um, but, you know, this is sort of what my style is. So, uh, you know, I tried to uh, incorporate all of this into September 11th and bring in some elements. And, you know, th there's certain things that I could do in here, obviously, that I couldn't do if this was a movie because we don't have the resources for it. But we have a, a dream sequence that uh, takes place at the top of the World Trade Center with lightning flashing all over the place. And I mean, just drama. And I've always had this real fascination with dreams because they really are the window into people's thoughts at a certain time so if you're having a dream and there's certain symbols in it it's usually telling you something about a problem that you're having you know from all the psychology books that i've read um so i, I try to make use of the dream sequences to kind of get an insight into people's current conflicts going on inside them um i love that element i love and i love that you can do this in the graphic novel Form. Um, so, you know, if I ever do another one of these, uh, you know, I certainly don't want to just go into doing superheroes or anything like that. I like to focus on issues like September 11th um, and really have like a very serious uh, drama laid out for the well, audience that gets into the people's heads. There are plenty of those since since 2001 to uh, to choose from. I <laughs> mean, just name them. Um, subjects I'm talking about, including, yeah, more recent ones in the last few years. But traditionally, a graphic novel is something which is used to sort of convey uh, an extreme yeah, good, for example, a superhero on one side and, and obviously supervillains on the other side or super, you know, detrimental or devastating events. So it's something where you have a lot of control in the narrative to, to convey very extreme yeah, examples of, of th things occurring in life. Now, obviously, some of these things are on steroids and that, that the style invites extremes. But in this particular case, I imagine you chose a, a, uh, a fictional version of this story in order to protect the actual people that died and actual people that were hurt and injured and so on. Um, but also, is that also to protect yourself? Because if you're putting this out there, uh, how, how is this being received by, let's say, mainstream or, or you know, governmental or other bodies? I mean, have you had any, any interesting uh, reactions as it comes out? Well, I mean, if you uh, – and I'm going to actually go to the page myself just to get the – quote in front of me here because I don't have it memorized but uh, in terms of endorsements we got an endorsement from Rosie O'Donnell um, which was very nice of her we have also from Jean Bales who is the widow of Jerry Bales the father of comic book fandom uh, wrote a very nice thing about it on Google so you know we are getting good reviews from the people who get it I mean obviously the mainstream media doesn't want to give anything we do attention much less my graphic novel um, so, you know, we're not getting a lot of attention from them. That's why we got to rely on the audience out there to uh, to publicize it and, and tell people about it. In terms of protecting myself, I mean, I, I don't worry too much about, uh, you know, the powers that be coming to get me or anything like that. I just do what I do and let the chips fall where they may. Um, and I'm also not afraid to tell the truth, you know, whatever it may be um, on one side or the other. And so, 
you know, I don't worry so much about that. The reason I chose to do it as a fictional story is, first of all, if you're writing about a real person, you've got to accurately represent the real persons, which would mean I'd have to be in very close consultation with somebody um, in every scenario that comes up. Plus, I wanted to, I, you know, like I wanted to portray re- a realistic scenario, but it is fiction in the end. So you can give a very hopeful message and get your point across uh, to people if you're controlling the events that transpire. So, you know, I, w- I had the ability to do that in this story. And I want to give people something, you know, their, their Beowulf, their Johnny Appleseed, whatever, their Rocky story um, to, sh- to inspire. I mean, whether we admit it or not, and <laughs> I remember this when I was in college, there were so many people used to say, oh, I don't watch TV. It was almost like they, they were um, – you know, they went out of their way to point out how they don't how they don't watch television. And my friend was my friend said, you know, "Oh, you're watching it." Like they're not basing all of this around me. You know, we're all moved by entertainment in one form or another. And you know, for all of us, it might be something different. But entertainment um, helps us get over a bad day. Entertainment inspires us, and uh, sometimes we even identify with characters out there. I wanted to give that to the 9/11 Truth movement, and I thought if we created some good fictional characters. You know, people might see a piece of themselves, and, and I, I, pres- I presume you are obviously uh, portraying what you consider to be the truth. In other words, the actual real events. You know, what was the cause of the building? What was, you know, why did this uh, building seven go into free fall, and so on and so on? Well, some of these facts that you and Annette and Kintia were talking about earlier. So I, w- I would imagine I haven't read your book, unfortunately, yet, but I would imagine you portrayed the truth as you see it from the evidence that you've, you've uncovered. Uh, yep. is that... Yeah. I mean, it, it lays out the evidence and it actually creates a uh, form at the end uh, scene where both sides are represented. What I did actually, there's a, there's a debate at the end of it. Um, you know, I, I have our side of it obviously represented by the main character. And then uh, for the other side, I actually took a lot of the points right directly from Nis own arguments. They have a FAQ on their Building 7 and Twin Towers report. So I went right directly to the NIST FAQs and what they said in response to some of the things that we say. Because you got to have a rebuttal in a debate, right? And um, I showed their side. And of course, I have our rebuttals to their rebuttals as well. And Honestly, I mean, if they want to try to rebut us back, certainly go for it. But I, I, think, I think this does a pretty good job of showing all of the holes in NIST's explanations for all of these elements that make up the controlled demolition evidence. And I've even had a member of the family who's been skeptical in the past of what I do and, uh, you know, this whole issue. After they read it, they said, yeah, you made your case pretty good. I don't, I don't, you know, I can't really argue with that. So I just say, well, everyone check it excellent. out. Yeah, it's indeed excellent. And of course, the other thing about a graphic novel is that it does allow each individual to imagine Imagine join the dots, whereas, let's face it, most TV or, or movies these days uh, almost prevent people from imagining anything because it, it's just so, it's, it's like a calculated formula sort of in your face to sort of, you know, after so many minutes, there'll be this intrigue, then there'll be a, a scare, then there'll be, a, you know, a, a sort of a guilt trip, then there'll be this followed by that. I mean, it, it's people are, are almost... In, in their addiction, following the narrative through, um, what can I say, sort of pop-up 
carrots that just sort of you know uh, attract people to the next next stage of the narrative. But when you're reading something, this is a huge difference. I think is that people actually do collect the uh, the milestones and, and make their own conclusions. So when you say because we didn't have the budget to do a, a movie, I'm I'm very happy you didn't because I think this is going to have far more effect on people that come into contact with it. Yeah, I like doing this. I mean, I you know I like the medium. I like. I mean, I'm not going to say I don't ever watch any television shows. Um, sometimes I watch even bad TV just to see how bad it is. Um, but yeah, I was watching a show the other night, and it's almost like every character when they talk to each other hates hates each other. Just the way the dialogue is, it just makes me uncomfortable every single scene. I'm like, this isn't entertaining me. This is making me feel bad here. Um, you know, and it, a lot of the stuff that you see out there is very formulaic and very cliche. I like to sort of defy uh, expectations from one scene to the next. So you think that this is going to happen or that this person's going to do that. And then it turns out that the other person does it and you didn't even quite expect. Um, so I like little twists and turns and it's almost like a magic show. And I also like uh, having no no preset formula or or expectations of what's going to happen, you know, I mean, typically you have a hero's story and uh, at the end of it, he wins and everybody applauds him and every, you know, and everything uh, comes out perfectly, but maybe it won't, you know, I like to keep, I, I like if I keep on doing this to keep people guessing what's going to happen to uh, at the very end, because maybe it won't come out well for him or maybe it will and have it sort of near real life. I mean, it's more, it's a more exaggerated abstract portrayal of real life but let's see, keep some of those elements of real life that uh, make it interesting for all of us living in it uh, in in the stories as well so you know yeah i, I hope uh, i hope people like it i'm, I'm sure they will Andy, just one last question about the production because i'm fascinated by this part of the uh what you've done the production obviously you said took many years to do and uh during that time, I guess your perception and your skills and your you know, illustration skills, writing skills must have evolved during this time. You, it, it's, did you have to go back and uh, sort of polish up the beginning because you sort of become far more proficient towards the end? Or did you write everything in a, a script format and then illustrate it at one stage at the end? I, tell us a little bit about that. I'm fascinated. Yeah, I wrote it in a script format first because I wanted to run it by my bosses before I did all this artwork, and they uh, they told me no. Um, but I like doing it that way, and there's other things that I've written in that kind of way. But when I do the script, it's more you know I'll write I'll write the word pick, and then write out a picture description, and it's sort of like I'm seeing it in my head, and I'm writing out the dialogue, um, and then. You know, when I actually get to doing the art, all those picture descriptions, I won't say all of them, but a lot of them get thrown right out the window because now I'm actually doing it on the page. And there may be ways that this could be portrayed better. There's also changes that get made to the story. I mean, there was at least one character, side character, who got added to the story only after I started doing the art. And I was rewriting dialogue as we go there. So in, in a way, it's sort of like making a movie. And when you make a movie, sometimes the actors change the dialogue because it works better for them or the director will make a change to the script at the, at that point, uh, which is exactly what I did with this. So a lot of times, yeah, I will write out a bunch of picture descriptions and then never even look at them again. I'll just kind of glance over them and, and uh, get a feel for what the scene is supposed to be like. 
and then just sort of redo it and just take the dialogue pieces. And sometimes the dialogue is rewritten uh, while I'm doing the art as well, because there'll be issues about how much space this will fill. Oh, you know, if I, um, if, if I, if I continue to do this scene in this way, it's going to splurge out onto this other page and I really want the other page to open up this other scene. So there's all these considerations, but it's a fun part. I, you know, I, used, I, I love writing. I love writing the stories. Um, but the more fun part is doing the art uh, for me. So, you know, like uh, I'm working on something right now. And I won't talk about it, to, uh, like the details of it, but I'm looking forward to getting to the art part of it um, once I'm done writing the script, because uh, that's when all these decisions get made and it's sort of like a process. So, yeah, I really did have to hone my skills more and, you know, I, find some things to trace even um, to, uh, you know, to really, you know, get the stuff that uh, I might have had trouble with. Um, so there's a lot of work that goes into it and research and all of that. It's a lot of fun for me. Indeed. Well, you must be proud. It looks like a, a great, a great production. Right. So having, having had this great opportunity to lay your take on the table, you know, your take on nine 11, uh, can we now afford a little time to speculate uh, what you actually think happened on that day? Or what it means? Was it symbolic? Was, is there more to it than just uh, the buildings coming down? Well, you know, as, uh, as AE-911 Truth, and I'm representing them, because we only talk about the evidence of uh, controlled demolition on that day that is what i stick to but it's also something that i just believe in i mean yeah there there's obviously some serious questions about who had access uh, to these to these towers to the core columns to take them all out in building seven and the twin towers and set these explosives and we certainly look at that and we look at the elevator renovations that were taking place in the months before <clears throat> and how could this operation have been pulled out pulled off without some kind of insider complicity but that's where we stop because we don't know all those details and we don't have the subpoena power to go question people i mean what we represent right now are 3500 architects and engineers that is where our expertise is and even though i'm not an architect or an engineer i have looked at the research of these brilliant people and uh, and they have made the case to my satisfaction, as I said earlier, and that is uh, where our area of expertise lies. So that's mm -hmm. what we're gonna that's sure. what we're gonna talk about. And you know what I've learned in life is like when you don't know, you don't know. And like, why was this done? Uh, ultimately, you know who who was the big force behind it? Those are questions that need to be answered once we establish the what of what happened that day and there's no shame in saying look i'm just sticking to what i can prove and the buildings were brought down in demolitions that's what i can prove i, I totally respect your your official position and I, again i'm not pushing you to, to say anything you feel uncomfortable about but i mean you must speculate a little over these years <laughs> i mean what makes what what fuels your passion to do this i understand you've already said many of the reasons why but you know yeah I mean, what interests me, what interests me, and I'll tell you what got me, like, kind can, of me questioning. Can you share your, your thoughts as, as, as an individual as opposed to a 9-11, for example, or is that something you don't want to do on air? Well, no, I mean, as an, as an, I'll tell you what got me first into the whole issue of September 11th 
was the reaction of the corporate media when you would bring on very rational people talking about these things that I'm talking about now, talking about them better than I'm talking right now. I mean, people like Stephen Jones. I mean, this guy was a, you know, a, a brilliant um, physics professor at BYU. Uh, they brought him on a particular show and they refused to show the video of Building 7 coming down, which they had agreed to before. Um, there were other... There were other newscasters who were outright hostile. It was almost like the entire tone changed on the show that you were watching whenever this issue would come up. And I would say, what is causing all of this? You know, why are if you really don't agree with it, why are you even featuring it? You know, you have some control. You are deliberately bringing this up so that you can put in the people's minds that this is something you are not allowed to question. So there's a, obviously a driving force behind that and the fact that every all of the media uh you know the books the um tv stations radio stations uh and that might be changing now but last time i checked it was something like five or six corporations owned all of it that's not a good state for our media to be in it's almost a monopoly thank god for the alternative media and for shows like yours so i do think about these things you know and a lot of times i tend to think about the human reasons for why they happen i mean basically the people that you have on television now are a bunch of yes men uh more concerned about their hair than actually being real journalists so when you have a situation like that they're tend they're going to tend to go along to get along do whatever they're told and that's a problem because we've lost real journalism in this country I mean, to see this consolidation of media. So that, I mean, that aspect of it fascinates me. And of course, whatever is prompting this to try to, you know, turn their head away from, from this uh, very important issue. So I try not to speculate too much because, you know, if I keep on bringing up the points that they can't argue with me about, it really annoys them. And they try to, they try to create fights because people have different theories about these things. And one person will think it's what this one group, this other person will think it's this other group. Then you have the 9-11 truth movement fighting amongst themselves. I focus on the issues that we can all agree on. And then like that, we are like a fist. We are like a force that they can't, uh, they can't reckon with. Okay. So no speculation then. <laughs> we don't like yeah. speculation. Well, no, but I mean, we are naturally curious human beings, I believe, but uh, I would certainly agree with you that we, uh, we do not living in the, in the uh, survival of the fittest, we're living in the survival of the, the fakest in terms of uh, journalism today. Um, and I think it's, it's ironic that, you know, your fictional graphic novel probably contains more truth about 9-11 than the, you know, previously trusted uh, mainstream media reporting on you know, news events. So uh, there we are. That, that was an inversion uh, comment there. Ladies, would you like to come in and say anything just in the last few minutes? Uh, any more questions or anything you'd like to ask Andy? I just, I want, I just want to let the audience know that I added a donation uh, link and the link to the previous 911 show that we did and Andy how much I appreciate your efforts on behalf of all of us to bring about insights in a very creative way um, I hope that the audience will take time to go and listen to the various shows you have on your podcast Freefall 911 Freefall I think uh, there's a lot of information there that 
can really help everyone to understand what's going on. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I want to give a very good shout out to my awesome team too at AE911 Truth. These are the most brilliant people I've ever dealt with in my whole life. And I couldn't do half the stuff I do without them. Yeah. It's like minds drawing each other. And uh, I'm grateful that some of the AE team has been on our show. They are um, so important, really. Yeah, well, we'd, we'd love to have you back again because uh, we'd like to get into some of those details. We just kind of brushed the surface, but I think uh, a lot of people, our listenership would really appreciate the, you know, more details about some of this stuff because it is so factual. It's not, it's not up for debate. It's not a theory. It's, it's uh, you know, like you said, it's denying physics otherwise, and that's kind of problematic. So appreciate your appreciate your uh, adherence to that. That's great. So thank you for coming on. Thank you. So we've we've reached that point. Despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers, artists, activists, healers, and innovators who are wide awake and are already making great impact. All they require from you is to unplug from mainstream social media propaganda to make your own independent research, stop acquiescing, and to stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. Remember, you were born with power, and you wake up each day with power. It's entirely up to you how you choose to retain or give it away. You've been listening to another live broadcast of The Other Side of the News. This 98th edition is entitled Drawing Out Truth and remains available at www.theothersideofthenews.com. My name is Timothy Saunders, and together with Kintia and Annette Driscoll, offer special thanks to our guest, Andy Steele, our listeners, contributors, and our sound engineer, Keith Morgan. We wish you all a very positive week, and look forward to reconnecting with you next Friday. Good night.